used to fill in that blank. Now think about that just for a moment. Maybe some of you today, you're thinking, well, um, the government has taken away my right to say what I want to say or my right to travel or, or whatever. Or maybe some of you say, well, the schools have taken away my right to pray. Others of you might fill in that blank and say, well, you know, actually, um, the courts have taken away my right to, to freely assemble. Still others of you might say, the doctor's taken away my right to drive. And still others of you say, well, my parents, my parents took away my right to my screens or my friends or my boyfriend or girlfriend. But what if we were to fill in that blank right under Sam's beard? God has taken away my right. Well, that's actually what we read today in the book of Job. Can you give Sam a big hand? You can take that down there, Sam. Thank you very much. We're going to uh, read from Job here in Job 27. And we're going to find that um, there's this man named Job... Spelled Job, and he is the most, one of the most righteous, most religious people ever to live. And yet he says, God has taken away my right. In fact, he goes on to say in Job 27, The Almighty who has made my soul bitter. So who here wants to essentially, if this is the way God treats his children, who here wants to hit the button on the bus of following God and say, you know what, I'm out of here. I can't take this anymore. Maybe some of you walked in this room and say, I'm barely hanging on to my faith. Life's been bitter. Life's been very difficult. And I thought following God, things would get better, not more bitter. If you're there today, I want you to cling to the hope that this message is going to give you. I, I actually um, have noticed a car that um, maybe a couple cars around town with these bumper stickers. And I, I get close enough. I love reading the bumper stickers on cars. Do you like reading bumper stickers on cars? And this one always makes me have almost one of those laugh out loud moments. It says this. Do you follow Jesus this closely? Do you follow Jesus this closely? Well, some of you maybe feel really close to Jesus that so much so that if he were to hit the hit the hit the brakes, you would, you would bump into him. Others of you this morning are wondering where God is. He feels very distant. And you wonder whether he's even in existence. So where you are in that spectrum, whether you feel close to God or whether you doubt there's a God, I want to tell you that there's hope. And part of that hope is to right-size your expectations. I was talking to one of you just in the hub um, today, and and they said, you know, I try not to get too high, even with the really joys, so that, so that the lows aren't too low. Well, I want, that might be a good strategy, but I want us to even go further to find the hope that we find in Christ. And remind us that the only right that we have in the Bible that I can remember is the right to be called, what? Children of God. And therefore, most of what we have are privileges, not rights. What we really need is hope. And to find this hope, we need to read Job 27. So turn in your Bibles there to Job 27. Job 27 is, is, God, is Job's summation in the plural form. 
meaning that he's talking to all of his friends who have been trying to make a case against him that he's not innocent. Job is the richest and most righteous person in the ancient Near East. And if you want to kind of know what the timeline is, he probably lived between the time of Noah and the time of Abraham. So between the flood and between the patriarchs. And Job spends his days not living out this amazing Freedom 55 life where he has all the payoffs from, from business success. He actually spends his retirement years, or at least the second half of his life, praying for his children just in case they hadn't sinned. Well, one day, Satan comes to put God on trial, and as God suffers attacks, so do we. And in Job's case, in one day, he lost everything, his business, his employees, and his family. And after that, he lost his health. He also lost his peace of mind and his security of, of being able to count on what he thought was God's form of justice. He even thought he lost his relationship with God. Anybody here feel any of those things recently? The thing, though, that Job never lost is that Job never lost his integrity. And this, his integrity was so tied to his faith. And I want to remind you, beloved, that our faith will be tested. Our integrity will be tested. And it begs the question, will we still love God even when we can't see his goodness? Will we love God for God's sake? So let's read from Job chapter 27, starting in verse 1. Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? Starting in verse 1 of chapter 27 of Job. You can find this in your Google it or, or in your hard copy of God's word. Here's what it says. And Job took, again, took up his discourse, again took up his discourse and said, As God lives who has taken away my rights and the Almighty who has made my soul bitter, as long as my breath is in me and the Spirit of God is in my nostrils, my lips will not speak falsehood and my tongue will not utter deceit. Far be it from me to say that you are right. Till I die, I will not put away my integrity from me. There it is, integrity. Verse 6. I hold fast my righteousness and will not let it go. My heart does not reproach me for any of my days. Let my enemy be as the wicked and let him who rises up against me be as the unrighteous. For what is the hope of the godless when God cuts him off, when God takes away his life? Will God hear his cry when distress comes upon him? Will he take delight in the Almighty? Will he call upon God at all times? I will teach you concerning the hand of God. What is with the Almighty I will not conceal? Behold, all of you have seen it yourselves. Why then have you become vain, altogether vain? This is the portion of a wicked man with God and the heritage that oppressors receive from the Almighty. If his children are multiplied, it is for the sword. And his descendants have not enough bread. Those who survive him, the pe pestilence buries, and his widows do not weep. Though he heap up silver like dust and pile up clothing like clay, he may pile up, but the righteous will wear it, and the innocent will divide the silver. He builds his house like a moth, like a booth that a watchman makes. He goes to bed rich, but will do so no more. He opens his eyes, and his wealth is gone. Tears overtake him like a flood. In the night, a whirlwind carries him off, and the east wind lifts him up, and the and he is gone, and it sweeps him out of his place. It hurls at him without pity, 
He flees from its power and headlong flight. It claps its hands at him and hisses, hisses at him from its place. May God add understanding to the reading of his word. You may be seated. I'm going to go back to this uh, Cornell because I think I just turned it on. It helps when you turn things on, right? <laughs> Do you have integrity? That's the question for us today. Do you have integrity? Before you think of this as a TED Talk on the topic of integrity, I just want to tell you it's not. In fact, some of those TED Talks say that integrity doesn't work and actually leads to hypocrisy because nobody can have integrity all of the time, which is true. But we need to still pursue being people of integrity and people of truth because our leader, Jesus Christ, is the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. This gives us the vertical reason to have integrity rather than just the horizontal one so that we can gain trust with other people. But first, let's define integrity. I'll start by asking you some questions. Now, the first question might break, some of, some of you might break out into to hives, okay, because it's going to take you back to grade six. So, here's the question. What is an integer? Remember that, an integer? What is an integer? It is a... Whole number. Thank you, Pastor Steve Limmer, who taught math for 40 years. <laughs> An integer, a whole number. Uh, another question. What is an integral element? An integral element of something? Important. It's important. It is essential, right, for wholeness. And then what does the word integrate mean? Think of it this way. We want each of you here to be integrated into our church. To come into, to be a part of the whole, the whole body of Christ here. And so throughout those definitions of those roots where we get in, uh, integrity, there's the word wholeness. When Job defends his integrity, he might say he's really arguing for wholeness or oneness of his Righteous soul. Integrity means to be whole without any cracks in one's character. Integrity enables a clean conscience. A clean conscience is not one that is without guilt, but one that is without blame. And so, do you and I have integrity? None of us have absolute integrity this side of heaven. But one man came close. That's Job. Look again at Job 27, 1 and 2. And Job again took up his discourse and said, As God lives, who has taken away my right, and the Almighty who has made my soul bitter. Now, has Job come to the correct conclusion? Has God made his soul bitter? When I first started studying this passage, I'm like, Job, you're confused here. It's Satan. It's Satan, the devil. Who has made your soul bitter? But as I continue to study this passage, I, I realize that there's more characters than just, just who Job describes as the one who's made him bitter. We start off with Satan. 
Satan was the one who destroyed his family and business. But as I thought about it, there were more characters who tried to embitter Job's soul. Job's wife also tried to embitter Job's soul. Remember Job's wife in Job 2.9, after she and Job, her husband, had lost those ten children. This is what she says. Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Integrity. Curse God and die. Now, when your spouse speaks into your life, they hold a certain, a certain amount of weight, don't they? They're, they're, right, Peter? Amen. Good answer. Especially when Andrew is sitting beside you. There goes the elbow. <laughs> yeah, our, our spouses carry that weight. Their, their, their opinion matters more to us, doesn't it? And that's why our spouse can either build us up or, or tear us down. And in Job's wife's case, she started to tear Job down. And she said, do you hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. So we see Satan and Job's wife planted seeds of discouragement and bitterness into Job's soul. But there's a third group of people that we've been studying about who, who also plant seeds into Job's soul, seeds of bitterness. And that's Bildad and Zophar and Eliphaz, Job's friends, his counselors. Job's friends made him bitter. Their constant questioning and interrogation was like them squirting lemon juice into his soul. And yet there's one more person who made Job's soul bitter, and that's God. Job understood and believed God correctly that he was in charge of the universe. Do you believe that today? That God is in charge of the universe? And so all that was happening to Job had to pass through the hands of God Almighty. God had to sign off on Satan's attacks, on Mrs. Job's attacks, on Bildad's attacks, on Zophar's attacks, on Eliphaz's attacks. Remember from chapter 1 that Satan had to ask permission from God to touch Job. And so we need to remember that God bears some responsibility for making Job's soul bitter. And we may not like that. In fact, when you first hear it, you might think, that almost sounds heretical, doesn't it? God makes people bitter? But what if God truly makes our lives bitter at times? What if God is doing something during this season of suffering in our lives that he doesn't do too often because we can't handle it? What if God has been tired of being put in a box by us, and now he's trying to break out and say, I have a different way of communicating to you. See, God allowed suffering during the time of Noah when, when Noah was the only righteous person to live. Can you imagine how hard that would be? And God allowed suffering during the time of Abraham when he and his wife struggled with infertility. That's a bitter pill, isn't it? Some of you know that. God allowed suffering during the time of Moses when he spent 40 years away from Egypt on the run as a fugitive, we could say. He comes back to Egypt. God uses him to be the deliverer of his people Israel. And they, they go off into the desert and, and all that, that Moses experienced under his leadership is complaint and criticism even by his own family. Or think about 
another one of the great characters in the Bible, David. David was on the run for many years from his own father-in-law, even though David remained loyal to King Saul. And of course, the ultimate example is, is God's son Jesus, who suffered and died for us. So many times we think God doesn't encourage suffering in our life. He doesn't allow suffering in our lives. And yet, if you believe in God's sovereignty today, he is the one that has to give permission for all these things. So God has allowed suffering billions of times in history to show us a different side of himself. Now, I've been married for 26 years this coming Wednesday. Got that right. And life with Lori is awesome. And part of why it's so awesome is because I haven't yet figured her out. <laughs> she is still very much a mystery to me. And those husbands who are a little further down the road for me, is that true for you too? Is, is, is your wife still a mystery? Amen. Amen. Yeah. And that makes life interesting, not boring. You see, I believe that God, in a similar way, wants to remain somewhat of a mystery to us. God was shaking Job's preconceived notions of how God was to act. And we learn sometimes that God makes life bitter for Job and for us. And this may actually increase our understanding of suffering, and it will increase our faith and hope in him. You see, if God has ultimately made our souls bitter, then he can also make our souls sweet again. God is the ultimate lemonade maker. He turns our sour lemons to lemonade. His people have long eaten bitter herbs at Passover to remind themselves of how bitter it was to journey with, G with, with the Lord as they walked through the wilderness. Things taste sweeter because we know what bitter is. In fact, I don't know this personally, but there's a whole, a whole line of alcoholic drinks called bitters. Some beer drinkers like more hops, which are measured in IBUs, international bitter units. You ever heard of that? Think about times you were going through in a bitter situation. And today you walked in here and I, I want to say you're still here. That's God's faithfulness. God took that divorce and caused you to delight in him, to be that close, intimate companion in profound and new ways. God took that physical ailment and caused you to enrich your prayer life so that you now talk to God in, in more profound ways. God didn't waste your cancer. He didn't waste your COVID. He's not wasting your mental struggles. God took that disappointment after disappointment in order to pry up the attachments we have to this earth. He's uprooting them. We learn new things about God and communicating to him in both our thoughts and emotions. Most times, in the good times of life, we read the Bible and, and intellectually we understand and believe God. But then there are times where you don't read as much of the scriptures, beloved, and you're just 
trying to get through the valley of the shadow of death. And that's when you're talking to God with your emotions, isn't it? You're crying out to him. And those are bitter times that God allows you to go through. But I'm believing and hoping today that you're understanding God in new and profound ways because of it. I'm certainly not advocating that we marinate in our bitterness and become sourpusses or puddle glums or eors. People with, with such ailments infect others with their melancholy. In that case, we must do as Ephesians 4.31 commands. The New Testament does talk about bitterness a number of times. And in this case, if that's you today, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. If you're just marinating it, if you just like to be bitter, then today that's the command. How are you doing with that command? However, we're also commanded in James 4.9 to be wretched and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. That really hit me this week. I'm like, I like to just be happy and joyful, but am I living out that command? I want to be wretched today. <laughs> mourn and weep. I can't even say it with a straight face, right? But that's what we're called to. It's a command. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. We need to be sad at times. But in our sadness, we must not sin. And this is why our first action point today is this, that we need to maintain our integrity. This is how we can maintain our integrity, through doing the right thing when God takes away our rights. Do the right thing when God takes away our rights. Bitterness can be caused by things we have done and by things that have been done to us. If we are becoming bitter because of the wrong things we are doing and nothing is going right, then stop, repent, turn from your sin and turn to God. This will uproot the bitterness in our lives left from regret and it will protect others. Weed out that garden of our soul that has been overrun by wickedness. Maybe you've had a, a winter of, of sin, if I could put it that way. And this weekend, when many of us got into the garden, we had to weed out a lot of the weeds. It was a reminder that maybe there's some roots of bitterness that need to be uprooted. That's what we, we recall from Hebrews 12.15 that teaches us to uproot this bitterness because it actually affects others. See to it that no one fails to observe the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Do the right thing when God takes away our rights. He may be getting your attention and drawing you back to himself by, by taking away your rights so that we cling less to the things of this world. He always treats us better than we deserve. Acknowledging this truth fights bitterness. However, what if you're, you're bitter because you're suffering for the right thing? Today, you walked in here and you did the right thing at work. And you did the right thing at school. And you did the right thing at home. And you're still suffering because of it. God may have allowed you to be in a situation that feels like you're swimming in pickle juice. That was Job's experience. 
Yet it doesn't make sense because Job continued to believe in God. God even knew the extent of Job's integrity. God even bragged about it. Go back to Job chapter 2, verse 3. You can turn in your Bibles there. I also put it up on the screen. Job chapter 2, verse 3. God is bragging about his boy Job. And this is what he says. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? That there's none like him on the earth? A blameless and upright man who fears God? And turns away from evil, he still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Did you notice that last part? Although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason? God did have a reason. In fact, he's had billions of reasons. This story of Job has been taught to billions of people. And they've been encouraged to keep going. You and I today are some of those reasons too. We are encouraged to hold fast to God, to not lose hope. Even when he seems to be slow in rescuing us. As Job says in Job 9, 18... He will not let me get my breath, but fills me with bitterness. Maybe you walked in here today and you can say, I can identify with that. That's my, that's my story right now. And if you're not convinced that God causes bitterness in our lives, maybe you should understand what the Hebrew word there in Job is used. It's a word you might recognize. It's the word mara. Remember that? Maybe that triggers some memories for you if you've been in the Bible any time. For any length of time. Remember jo- uh, Ruth chapter, uh, uh, chapter 1 verse 20. Naomi says this statement. After losing her husband and sons. And she says don't call me Naomi but Mara. Because who? The Almighty has made my life very bitter. That sounds a lot like Job doesn't it? Do the right thing when God takes away your rights. Today I have living proof. Uh, my sister's going to be here this weekend. She came down to help a friend for a wedding. And, and I got to tell you, she wouldn't be here this weekend. In fact, she wouldn't exist if it wasn't for that a 16-year-old girl who was unmarried and pregnant didn't choose life. It was the 1970s, and her biological mother was sent across the country to have her babies. Remember when they used to do that? And that 16-year-old girl seemed to have lost her rights, at least the right to see her boyfriend. But she, that 16-year-old girl, did the right thing when God took away her rights. And I praise God that I have a sibling today, because that's the only sibling I have, because that 16-year-old girl did the right thing when it seemed like all of her rights were being taken away. You see, our family adopted Stephanie straight out of the hospital And she has been a massive blessing to us from day one. Job committed to doing the right thing too, even when he couldn't see it. Let's jump back to Job chapter 27. Look at verses 3 through 6. He says this very clearly. It's a commitment. And sometimes sometimes you just have to make resolutions, don't you? You do them in the strength and power of the Holy Spirit. But this is what he says. As long as my breath is in me, the Spirit of God is in my nostrils. 
My lips will not speak falsehood, and my tongue will not utter deceit. Far be it from me to say that you are right. Till I die, I will not be put away my integrity from me. I hold, hold fast my righteousness and will not let it go. My heart does not reproach me for any of my days. In other words, my heart will, will not allow me to, to exhibit that I am guilty. You see, the ultimate lie would have been for Job to abandon his integrity. He was not going to prove Bildad and the other friends right that he had actually done wrong. Job believed, I'll be damned if you are right. And that wasn't cursing, but a core belief of Job that he had to maintain his integrity or he would experience damnation. So do the right thing when God takes away your rights. But don't do, just do the right thing when God takes away your rights. Secondly, do the right thing when nobody else does right. And some of you today walked in here and you are the only one at work and you're the only one at school is doing the right thing. Job did. After making his commitment to do the right thing, talk, Job actually talks about the consequences of doing the wrong thing. Look what it says verse 7. I let my enemy be as the wicked. I let him who rises up against me be as the unrighteous. For what is the hope of the godless when God cuts him off, when God takes away his life? This is a great verse. When you're at work and you know that you're the only one who's having integrity, just remind yourself of verse 8 and say, yeah, it doesn't seem to pay right now my integrity, but it will someday. Because look at verse 9. Will God hear his cry when distress comes upon him? Will he take delight in the Almighty? Will he call upon God at all times? I will teach you concerning the hand of God. What, is, what it is with the Almighty I will not conceal. Behold, all of you have seen it yourselves. Why then have you become altogether vain? This is the portion of a wicked man with God and, his, and the inheritance that oppressors receive from the Almighty. Job is reminding his friends and himself that we, we need to do, that it's, it's important to do the right thing when nobody else does because the wages of sin is death. And sometimes that payment is delayed. God is going to judge each and every one of us someday. And even though Job has pointed to many observable cases in which people commit evil and yet are not immediately punished, he still believes that God is just. He's still holding fast to that, his righteousness. My friends, maybe you have a decision this week, and it feels like everybody's telling you to do something other than what you know God is telling you to do. Do what God is telling you to do. Do it in the strength and power of the Lord God. I implore you to do the right thing when nobody else does right. God's judgment is the only opinion that ultimately matters, isn't it? Maybe today you walked in here and that was the encouragement you needed. Do you believe that God's judgment is the only one that truly matters? Do the right thing. When God takes away your rights, and do the right thing when nobody else does right. That's how we maintain integrity. But there's a third way to maintain our integrity, and that is to do the right thing 
when nothing is going right. When nothing is going right. And this is actually the majority story in the book of Job. Everything was going wrong for Job. I felt this a little while, little while. In fact, at times I'm like, okay, what's wrong going to happen wrong today? And I hate living like that. And then I go, is this because I have to preach through Job? We're all suffering through Job, right? We're suffering in life. And yet nothing seemingly going right is not the only narrative in Job. And I remind myself and I remind you of this. God will bring about redemption. God will restore. Job believes God is the victorious warrior, but he cannot affirm that God at this moment is fighting on his behalf. At least at this point in the story. However, we can affirm that God will fight on our behalf. And how do we know this? It always comes back to Christ. It always comes back to the cross. Jesus fought for us by dying on a cross, by suffering on a cross for us. And when I look back at that, I'm like, there's hope. There's hope. There's hope. He's still fighting for us. The battle belongs to the Lord, and he will make things right. So let's join him in his work of restoring what is right. One of the best examples of God making things right is the story of my sister's birth. See, I only told you a part of the story. The rest of the story is this. We always told Stephanie that she was adopted and she was really special to us. And my dad, uh, when she was late in her later teen years, said, hey, if you want to reconnect with your birth family, um, that door is still open because I still have connections with the birth family. And so um, Stephanie really prayed about it and thought about it, and she decided to, uh, to reconnect with her birth mom. And she found out that she lives in uh, Palm Springs, California. And so she, she connected with her and discovered that she had some siblings, and, and her birth mom named Heather had some um, struggles and relationships, but she, Stephanie found this whole new family. Well, fast forward a few years, Stephanie also was able to connect with her birth father who was living in Western Canada. And so, again, that was another awesome disgrace in her life. Well, fast forward to 2014, and um, her birth father named Rocky calls Stephanie up and says, Hey, uh, Steph, I would love for you to come out to our family reunion. Could you come? And so uh, Steph says, sure, absolutely. And, uh, and Rocky says, I just have one favor. Now, one favor is, could you, could you please connect with Heather? Because I know that Heather's now moved back to Canada. And could we have a picture with, with myself and, and Heather and you? I just love that. And so Steph calls Heather, and Heather's like, Oh, no problem. Let me just, let me just talk to, to Rocky myself. And so they go and they meet at Starbucks. And at Starbucks, they clear up a lot of misunderstandings. See, they always thought that, that the other one had broken up with each other, but actually it was the families who had broken them up. That, broke, that, that, that tearing apart was done by deception. And so that really cleared up some things for them. Well, 
Rocky at that same meeting told Heather, I never stopped loving you. And progressing from that, they started dating. Well, fast forward, it was the fall of 2014, and Heather came to Ontario to visit Stephanie and her family and our family. And, uh, and Heather sat in my living room, and uh, I got the privilege of telling Heather, thank you for choosing life. Thank you for giving me a sister. Heather went on to tell a little bit about her life and about how Rocky and her had started dating again. And then Heather asked me this question. Will you have the honor of marrying Rocky and I on Valentine's 2015? So as far as I know, I'm one of the few people on earth that has married my sister's parents, right? If I could put it that way, the riddle question. But it gets better than this because Rocky and Heather had both come to faith in Jesus Christ. And so this is better than any Hallmark story. This is a heavenly story that God has set up. It's such a reminder that God can make right when we've lost our rights like Heather did. When nobody is doing right, when everybody else seems to be against you. And when nothing is going right. Do you believe that today? This is the hope we need to cling to. Let's pray. God, I just, I just pray that each one here would cling to this Jesus. He is the ultimate example of those who have suffered. And yet, every one of us has suffered in part because we've sinned, but Jesus suffered because of other sins. Our sins, my sins. Lord, I pray that each one would come out of this place clinging too fast to not just their integrity, but to the salvation that Jesus Christ offers. And God, we thank you. We thank you for him doing what was right for us, even though at the time it didn't look right for him. So God, today may we sing and have a, a renewed vision of who you are. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen and amen.